Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. This is another episode of Recyclables. I'm PTP in the editing bay, which is just a part of my bedroom that I've cordoned off with blankets. Uh, you're listening to the first part of a multi-episode saga we're going to discuss in this episode. Uh, our adventures in Montana, what we did while we were there. And in the second half, you're going to get some fun history that we learned about the Lewis and Clark Trail. Before we go on to the episode, I just wanted to take a second and thank the patrons right up on the top. Uh, we've had a little uh, an increase in patrons. Uh, the, the patron works like this. You can pay whatever you want. You'll get early access to the episodes and an occasional exclusive as I have time. The model is if you can't pay, that's okay because this podcast is available for everybody at the budget that I have to operate off of. This is what you get off of our current operating budget. If you would if you would like to see a little more productive output, then, then this is capitalism, and that's how we have to work. And I'm sorry. No matter what, you're going to get an episode. So do not worry. If you have the ability to help, I would like to make it Rochelle's job to boss me around. I would like her to be a legitimate producer. So that would be cool. Um, if you want to help and you don't have any extra, any, any loose change, like a dollar a month or whatever, what you can do is you can go to whatever you're listening to the podcast on and rate it highly and then go to your social medias and share about recyclables. We have a fa page on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. I'm going to work on starting a uh, discord and a Reddit. So you can look forward to that. Uh, I've taken up enough of your time. It's almost been two minutes. So let's get into the episode with me and Rochelle. Uh, and I'll catch you at the end. I was thinking the other day, though, like, so I got fancy cane <laughs> from you. I got inversion table given to me, but I do not have rent money. And I guarantee, <laughs> I guarantee my roommates are like, oh, okay. <laughs> And, and where is the money? And I have to be like, no, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't from me. It didn't. Well, I mean, and you could say, like, oh, I'm sorry, people can't be generous in liquid assets yeah. all the time. Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry, but not everyone's charity was exactly cash. I was really lucky because, like, you know, I was in between jobs. And so I put out an SOS and two different people sent me a pretty sizable chunk of money so I could, like, pay the rest of my bills until I got my first check from my job and everything. And so I, I think you and I, even if we still struggle a lot, are very lucky that we have a lot yeah. of people in our lives who give a shit about us. I am. I wish they were richer. I do too. But, you know, I wish then I, had, I probably wouldn't want to be friends with them. I wish I had art to sell. That would be, I do have, I do have a half an idea. I'm low key thinking about, cause that's just a phrase I use. Cause I'm whatever. Uh, the appropriate the, the appropriation of African American vernacular has not been on my mind heavily, uh, but I'm thinking of doing some podcast episodes about magic, j just on my own while I'm in my room. So we have like when we have loose content, I have some magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, and to what you were saying earlier, as one white person asking another white person, 
if, if something originates as AAVE, but it becomes part, does that mean it is inappropriate as a white person to use it? Because, like, I understand, like, the really intense appropriation that, like, say, white queer men do of black, uh, of AAVE. Yeah. Like, I understand that being problematic, but I'm like, when has it become so ubiquitous that, and I'm not saying it doesn't belong in AAV anymore, but when is it just a general part of American English speakers. I don't know, and this is uh, this is actually something I want to do real, real deep later. But I want to have the conversation now because it's been in my mind. Because because for anyone who's not uh, for 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 the end of our audience that doesn't know AAVE AAVE African American Vernacular English. It has gone by other terms in the past that have become outdated. Some of us might recognize the phrase like ebonics. Yeah, that's or or I, I think of that scene in Airplane where that lady's like, "Oh, I speak some jive." Yeah, like, yeah, that's probably not the way you want to say it anymore. Yeah, but I have been just thinking about that a lot because there was a point where I was like, "I am being concise in my self-expression," i.e., I don't say, "Let me have your time, please." Let me let me talk to you about this. Yeah, I, yeah. I say that. It's that weird thing. I don't know either because the the issue I'm more concerned with is digital blackface. Is yeah, and just uh, which like is appropriating for, mannerisms, speech patterns, uh, accents. Black scent is a lot of things yeah. people. Will or talk or about. the thing I notice a lot is is I, I'll see a lot of leftist people that will do the thing where they make um, African American. They make black people kind of cartoonish or or kind not necessarily the punchline of the joke, but it's much more taking a. a a specifically black experience and making it ubiquitously white i.e the thing that i try to avoid of saying my experience with poverty intersects with much of the black experience but the black experience is distinct from my yeah experience and of that's poverty. actually kind of what i was th- what i wanted to touch on in regard to that is that a lot there there is going to be a lot of overlap and that will seep into language as well which will become like using uh shortened forms of words yeah or using like like saying brung instead of brought that was something i grew up with and so those are things that aren't proper english so they are like pathologized or at least like considered uh unprofessional but it was how i but then how much (laughs) of that is it considered unprofessional because it is the black experience we've and this is just yeah. uh, this is just a conversation i've been having with myself just because like one of the goals with recyclables is to to focus on not focus but to express a lot of the experience of being poor white trash and to try to do that without falling into the pitfalls that have happened in the past when you're poor white trash doing trying to do things, i.e. Well, and the I don't want to concept. co-op the language of oppressed groups and use it in a way to make it seem like my oppression is similar to that. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like how I can't breathe. And, and then it became... And then it became, like, more of a thing, and then, like, white people used it as a fucking joke. Yeah. And it's like, the leftist way of doing it would to be, like, my struggle with not being able to go in my co-op without a mask on. Is just like George Floyd not being able to breathe. And I, I shouldn't pretend that it's not on my mind for no reason. With all the stuff going on with the individual identifying themselves as yay lately. Oh, gosh. The, 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 I don't, the conversation I, I have been having with myself is, as I'm reexamining my relationship with social media, is, but just the, like, what is reveling in 
black suffering. Yes. And what is being taken advantage of by capitalist, by, by not necessarily capitalists, but by people intent on using someone else's pain for profit. Yeah. Right. And that there, there was uh, somebody did a really good one about shit. Who was it? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, sorry, I got it. the the. It could happen here. And and hood politics did a good crossover about, about uh, and and Yay. one of the things that really struck me was that there's a the, the released footage of Ye saying really anti-Semitic stuff that really fucking awful. Yeah, yeah. They, they, even it, in context, is not things you should be saying. And it gets cut out and edited and trimmed down so that Tucker Carlson can still have it on his show and. You're doing some of the work, I think, to a small degree when, I mean, to small and large degrees, it varies, but to degrees when you're sharing memes about it as a white person without kind of digesting all of that context and understanding the like, uh, relationship that, like, I don't, I don't want to stand in any fashion for, for Mr. West, but like, there is something to be said for being mentally unhealthy and being uh, a member of communities, i.e. men, black, black men have a hard time discussing trauma and discussing mental health because like that's not a part of, of a conversation that has existed for, it's there. It's, and again, it's not like our, yours and mine conversation to have, but how much I've just been, this is just the way the Pat brain works is just, I've been thinking about like, oh, what do these memes say about us in context to this whole yeah. nebulous thing? And so that's just been on my mind is like, how much is me being, I don't know, and spelling it I space D-U-N-N-O is doing a little bit of Tucker Carlson's work and how much isn't. And like my whole thing is like, I don't want to make those kind of people's lives easier. I agree with you. I don't think, yeah, I, I think, think there are that, some that are. I think there are some things that have become much more ubiquitous in general American English. And I also think some of that um, is to break away the oppressive nature of English. Now, what what would probably be something more so that would probably be an indication of appropriating AAVE and doing some of Tucker Carlson's work would be like the Yas Queens, the Slays, yeah. uh, the On Period, all of that kind of stuff. The where it's like, because like initially it comes into Amer like into white people's vocab as a joke. Because it's funny for white people to exhibit blackness. And that being funny is the problem. There shouldn't be... Yeah, it goes. It, that goes back to minstrel shit. Like, that goes back to yes, fucking... Exactly, or, or not minstrel exactly, shit, but... Uh, exactly. or, or, yeah, yeah, minstrel shit. Sorry. I think... It's blackface. That, I think the, 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 the most salient point I have reg in regard to Yi is that after Katrina, he said George W. Bush doesn't care about black people. However... Regardless of his mental state, his actions in the uh, since he started getting all MAGA and shit is that he doesn't care about black people and an extension anti-Semitic, like he's being anti-Semitic as yeah. well. So like we can have a conversation about how hard it is to be a black man in America and be honest with your emotions and your struggles, like losing his mom in an extremely traumatic way on top of the mental health diagnoses he already yeah. deals with. Like, yes, and like, I am not going to say he has not suffered, but that does not excuse or even really contextualize no. saying anti-Semitic shit 
and saying anti-black shit like he's been doing for years now. Yeah, and I'm not trying to... And so that, wh- that's when all I, say, I wanted to say is, like, I, I do think that he is more than just his anti-Semitic and anti-black remarks, because I think all of us yeah. are more than that, but I don't think that those other parts do anything for me personally to normalize his behavior, I guess. This isn't a conversation for two people, two white people to have. No, yeah, to we what do up. not have the the appropriate cultural um, lens in which to view this in a way that will be beneficial for but, other people. But this is recyclables, and part of recyclables yeah. is, hey, how can we rethink this? And the other yeah. thing, kind of interesting or, or worth getting us to rejigger our thinking about a little bit, is the sort of detrimental influence having that much wealth and all. All that wealth and all that power, not to, it well, yeah. has on a person because. If you don't have people around you saying no and calling you out for problematic behavior, the, there is research that says that it like literally cooks your brain. It's this weird thing that I notice over and over again where it's like once you become an economy, people are incentivized to let you do whatever keeps the economy moving. Unless what you do is going to yeah. threaten the economy, which. Is what the we're seeing now. anti-Semitism is specifically it. There's a Crutches and Spice, that TikToker mm-hmm. that I really appreciate. I mean, she's more than a TikToker. She's, I think she has her master's in communications. She's a disability advocate, all of it. She's black. She has cerebral palsy. Um, but people kept on asking why Adidas didn't cut ties with him for all the anti-black shit he was doing, like wearing the shirt that said White Lives Matter with Candace Owens. Because that's supposed like that. to be a both sides issue, Well, is my yeah, guess, Well, right? it's because that's intra-community so it's just inside the black community. So Adidas didn't really have a way to police that through their actions in a way that would work, more or less. Also, if you're typically if you're outside the group and you have to do brand damage control, you're going to cause more harm than when it's, when it's than, an intergroup group. Yeah, because this was intercommunity. So it was a black person saying this about Jewish people, and Adidas has a history of shaky ground in regards to Jewish people. What what I also find interesting is it's that weird the thing of like a broken clock is right twice a day and like kind of capitalism shit. Yeah, is I think that there's like, that regard. They make the right call, but it's for like all of the wrong yeah, reasons. It's, it's it's for the bottom line kind of reasons and not the reasons they actually should there's be. There's no doing. one there's yeah, there's no one sitting at Adidas. It's like thinking, it's not that it's gonna hurt your bottom line and remind people that you you supplied uniforms for Nazis. It's that you, like, that's that's what you're worried about. But what really is the problem is that you are platforming someone saying anti-Semitic shit and normalizing that kind of attitude. And, like, this is before we even talk about the sweatshops and how these clothes are produced yeah. and how much waste is involved. Because most of their most of their job is to try to get us to forget that. Because I, yeah. ju- I, I honestly think forgetting that keeps us kind of, you know, in our place. Well, like, speaking of what, what we were talking about, how being rich cooks your brain. Living in capitalism has cooked our brains. Oh, yeah. Like, a... if you really contended every waking second with the horrors that are being done around the world that you may not be actively engaging in, but you benefit from or are complicit in, I don't know how you can get out of fucking bed. Yeah. They and... also, like, cutting that deal with him means that he's no longer a billionaire. Yeah, so now he's got a... Now and that's... he has to contend with all of the wealth that he has lost. And apparently he, he just bought Parlor, 
which was... Oh, my God. Which, he got laughed out of Skechers, too. Pat, we are talking way too much about this, man. The the, the only thing I will... this That Hood Politics episode is really good because it points out that, like, no, these right-wing grifters have been waiting for, like, a legitimate black man in their, in their kind of... Like, that's probably... I'm pretty sure that's the way they would phrase it, is why I'm using that. And I feel icky that I was like, oh, I'm sure that's how Tucker Carlson saw it. But, like, somebody who's legitimate in, in, a, in a sense that they are not. Mm-hmm. Because the main thing that, like, our kind of fashy right side doesn't have more than anything else is is a charismatic person, but also is advertising to another community, right? Because mm-hmm. they've kind of reached their saturation points of white. Like, we're not really going to be any more left or right, I think, than we are now, other than when we're kind of maybe forced to divide. But I do definitely think that, like, the the bad guys have figured out, oh, we got to be intersectional. How can we do it? Well, rich people, we'll just... Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you find people like Candace Owens. Um, you find people like ye. You find people like Milo Yiannopoulos, who now isn't gay anymore. Um, the right loves to find uh, people who will completely humiliate themselves for the Republican Party. It's like Han- Hannah Gadsby's whole thing about how as a minority and a marginalized person, especially in comedy, half of your joke is just humiliating yourself to like earn the right to be yeah. on that stage. I think that that's a lot of what they look for is someone who's willing to do that, and especially if they can do it for money, that's great, because then you have someone bought and yeah. paid for. Uh, another reason it's important to think about digital blackface is the fact that, like, we are white people who are surrounded by white people mostly, but probably the only two places whiter than Oregon are Idaho and Montana, and guess yeah. what? And guess yeah, no. what? We went to Montana. That was... Yeah, I, we saw we saw black people in Montana. Yeah. Well, and one thing is that there are multiple military bases in Montana, and there's definitely a lot more diversity in the American military. One of my things that I find funny about America is that we'll just have military bases inside the country. Oh, yeah, they're all over. And we never think about, like, you know, they don't have that in a lot of, like, A, it's fucked up that we have them in other people's countries. It's really weird that we have them throughout our own until you think about history. In Montana, all of the international airports in Montana were originally Air Force bases during World War II. Ah. So. Because um, that's where you stop between. Well, yeah, like to get to Alaska or to get back over to Russia, yeah, stuff sense. like that. And also Montana has one of the larger um, caches of nuclear weapons. We have a bunch of silos. Oh. That actually was my job, my dad's job when he was in the Air Guard. He would go and maintain the missile bases. Nice. Um, but yeah, he did that and then he went civil service a little bit after that and then he started working for shipping and like... My, my dad was in the Navy and then after that he became a felon <laughs> and then after that he became a uh, parolee, I think is what they're called or whatever. There's supposed to be a specific term for when you're you're out of prison but don't have rights, but I can't remember what it is. That's a wild thing that's going on in Florida. Yeah, so so we went to Montana. We recorded when we were on the way to Great Falls, right? Yeah, because we had great ambitions. So we were thinking like every like day or so we'd do like a little recap of what we did. Spoiler alert, that did not happen. Uh, Any free time we got was taken for naps. Yeah, because I'm disabled. 
yeah, you're disabled and I have a lot of family. And so it was kind of exhausting in a way. And like, like we, I think we could have gotten work done, but I was also like, I don't really have a need to work right now. I haven't. I'm I'm fine with how things. And went. for for potential federal bean counters, I would like to clarify that when we say Rochelle took me on this trip, it was very much like that meme of like, hey, do you want to go to restaurant? And then you're like, oh, I can't afford it. And then your friend's like, no, I'll take you. Because Rochelle was just like, no, we'll we'll go places. Like, yeah. don't don't be an asshole. Don't don't order the guacamole supreme deluxe burrito. But like, I got yeah, you. Yeah, no, I I wanted to take Pat with us because I wanted him to see Montana and I wanted him to see what comedy was like in Montana as well. It it did not. It was weird in that it did not renew my passion to do more. It renewed my passion to tour. It did not renew my passion to Mike. Mm-hmm. It, re- it reminded me that, like, the thing I hate the most about comedy is the fact that I've never had the money to do comedy. And it's never been more transparent than when I haven't had to worry about the money to do comedy. Yep. And that was that was the most eye-opening experience, but also realizing, like, I kind of want to do this other thing that we're doing now much, much more. That, like, stand-up was an itch was trying to scratch this itch way more than the actual itch I have, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. I was just glad to go on a trip, you know, and go back home. And, like, it was very nice. And it was nice to do comedy with people who seem to be excited about it Mm -hmm. and less concerned about hierarchy. Would you say that it was, it didn't feel... Well, I think, I I don't know. I mean, obviously there's still people who have authority in communities. Yeah, I think what I was really excited to see was, uh, I'll shout out him by name if I could remember names. Um, John Howard actually was, there probably was some stand-up before he started doing stuff in Missoula, but I think he's the one who really helped solidify it into a community. Um, But it was... The Union Club Open Mic has been running for over 10 years now, I think if not longer, and that was the mic we, the, the last show that we did. But it was just nice to have someone not dismiss me. It's easy to get dismissed. Yeah, and it was nice to be taken seriously. And uh, we were able to have, sorry, we were able to have a conversation with him about what we want to get out of comedy, and maybe not all of the things lined up, but he could see value in what we were valuing, we could see value in what he values, and so it was nice to talk to people who aren't just looking at, well, this is, I need to do this, this, and this so I can get this. And not at all really thinking about the communal aspect which of isn't, it. Which isn't to say that that does not exist in Portland. No, like, like, it does exist, it, but it's, it's just, definitely not as easy to be a part of. Like, our scene is very... And I think, I think one of the kind of unwritten rules of the podcast is it's also you and I kind of processing certain traumas at the same time. Oh, yeah, no, I think both and of us have deal with a lot of, dealt with a lot of trauma in the comedy community, and so it's hard for us to trust. Be, as people who've survived some intense traumas, like, it's hard to trust in general. Mm-hmm. And then when the nature of it is, well, sorry, this is also a business relationship, it becomes extra complicated. Harder, yeah. So, like, I do think there are people who... I do think there was a point in my life where it was easier to navigate some of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune because uh, mm-hmm. I know Shakespeare, but also some shit happened to me and it became a lot harder. Part of the reason we do this is me realizing, well, do I want to engage in that relationship? I saw a lot of that relationship being engaged with in different ways. It was really nice to meet uh, Renee to uh, to see an, uh, to see someone who was a polymath as well. Who's yeah, like, she's a poet. 
Um, she's a writer. I don't, uh, she does all sorts of stuff, and she lives in a punk house called Flavor Town. Tony, if you're listening, I would love to turn the house into Flavor Town. Yeah. Portland edition. Like we call it Meat House. Mm. That's a reference he will get. Like he's a good cook. If you guys want to check out a friend of mine, you should check out the Stone Chef. Uh, I keep telling him to get a TikTok. I'm going to convince him. Yeah, he should get a TikTok. The other thing, the other thing I thought was really nice is that Montana is big, and I know Oregon is big. But the thing about Oregon is we are, for the most part, we're either if you're on the coast, then the Pacific Mountains are right there, so you're kind of like right up against them. And if you're in the valley, you are literally in a valley, right? So, so you kind of get the sense that the landscape ends. And even when you go into eastern Oregon, it's still pretty, there's this sense of like, oh, there's a, a place over there. There's a little copse of woods or whatever. But in Montana, there's just like a tree and then nothing for well, 30 like fucking miles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's a lot of like grasslands. There's a lot of open space and a lot of like... You can see so much farther than you can in a lot of places, not only because it's so open, but also because the air is pretty fucking clean, too. Um, it was a little smoky when we were there, though, and, because there were some fires. And the thing that just kept striking me was the idea that like people would show up here and just be like, this is all mine, and if I see you, I'll murder you. And by the way, we can see really fucking far because it's Montana because of all these things we just named. And it's like, why? Why did you yeah. come to this place and be like, no, I need all of this? Like, like. Yeah, but then you meet someone from the city who's just bought a million dollar house like 30 minutes outside of town. And you're like, oh, this is what it looks like now. This is exactly what it looks like now. It was fun to go home. Let's see. So the first show we the first show was me. Char, it was me, Charlie McCorn, Andy Awancio, and you. You opened for us, yeah. and you you did great. Yeah, I had fun. This, I forgot to mention the podcast because I'm a professional. It's no, you brought it up a little bit. I think I brought it up a little bit too. You're fine. But I forgot that, to record any video. Whatsoever. That show went really good. One of my friends bought a ticket for it, and he forgot to go, so there was just an empty empty chair. Um, but that show went really good. What did we go? Did, we went to the bar after that. Yeah, we yeah. went to the bar and got to meet you. Got to meet we, some more people. It, 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 that was the other thing that struck me about like why I'm bad at stand up is there will be this thing where like afterwards you sort of need to hang with people to build your fame. And I'm always sort of like, yeah, but I'm done at work. Like I just want to, I just want to sit my soda and and listen to other people talk. And people want to talk to you. They want to get to know you. Yeah. It was just funny because uh, Corey and I, like, slunk off to the gambling portion. To, to yeah, and I was just talking to everybody. And then the next day was when we did the punk show at the punk house with a dog named Theodora. And so that show, Charlie did magic. Renee read poetry. You and I did stand-up. And so did Andy. Andy yeah. Awancio. Um, and so that show was good. And then after that, we got on the road to head to Montana, uh, head to Great Falls to spend time with my family. Pat, what were your first impressions of all of those people in my mom's house? A couple of notes, a couple, a couple of notes, a couple of notes. Uh, it was interesting because, uh, one of my previous wives has like three or five brothers, something like that. They, they all have kids and marriages and stuff. And so, like, when I met her, I thought that was a big family. And then I met you guys. And then there and was... we're not even... There's bigger families than us. And, and also the revelation that, like, oh, we're not even all here. But it did have... It, it, it's just interesting that there's some, some vibes that are always exist throughout, like, like large families. Because I've had other friends who had big families of, like, the bathroom is just arranged a certain way. It has to be very, like, 
accessible and it needs to have a lot of clear space. You have to be able to explain where things are to someone who is both five and 50. Yep. And so like the bathroom, that was because of course bathrooms are very important to me. Uh, that was the first place I went and I was very much like, oh, okay, I get the vibe of these people now. They're very, there's country playing in the background, but it's like 1980s George Strait. This might be an AM country station. It's that kind of country. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what station they have on in there. When I was growing up, it was the pop station or the oldies station uh. that I would put on. But that's always something that's thrown off company too, is that when you turn on the light switch, the radio turns on. Like, I had to be like, hey, just so you know, a radio is going to turn on when you turn the light on in the bathroom. It's okay. No, I was used to that. I, 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 no, it's a perfect setup. Yeah. It's perfect. It's old, 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 old people like the radio on when they poo, I think, because yeah. it, it gives you something to do. Well, or listen to when you're taking a shower. Yeah. Um, we had pizza that night. We had Howard's Pizza, which uh, that restaurant has a location in downtown Great Falls, which is where my parents met in like 1970. It holds a lot of, it holds a special place in our hearts. I'm going to say, oh, nice. Like I was paying attention the whole time. It was fine pizza. Yeah. It wasn't amazing. I mean, I like the pizza, but I can understand if people don't like it. And it was my mom's birthday, so we wished her happy birthday. And I totally day. called your mom the name of your niece and nobody, nobody checked me. Oh, Everyone calls everyone the wrong name. Uh, and I just thought it was funny. I, I thought that was funny. I also, I also felt like your family thought I was your drug dealer. Yeah, it was very funny. Like, all of my family members have brought friends along to visit before. Like, that, this, this is not an out-of-the-ordinary thing to have happen. So, But I think most of the time when that happens, it's a normal friend. And I'm like, I'm not even your most eclectic friend. Like, yeah, but I I'm, I show up with a cane. I, I, I definitely, I think I was wearing a mask for like the first 10 minutes and then it kept falling off and I was like, fine, I give it. up. Yeah, I'm going to die in this state. It's fine. You you were better than I was, but I was just like, I don't even know how to care. And it's like, I'm not protecting myself by wearing this mask and no one's safe here. It was it was a bit of a But I could, I could for the first time contextualize how so many people not here can... Because, like, in a, in a major metropolitan, it makes sense to me to wear a mask almost even even without a pandemic. Like, I'm oh, like, no, I am probably always going to wear a mask in large public settings now. And, until, we, until we get, like, public health as well, a as a. But, thing. I mean, just for me in general, yeah. because I am so susceptible to upper respiratory infections, and I just, I don't have them anymore because of masks. There's also been a visual impact to the city, I think, a little bit as far as, like, oh, this is what the pandemic looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. And being at home in the city has meant something different than being at home in some in a town, town somewhere. Or a rural place. And like also where the person across the street from you hasn't been the places you haven't been. So like it was the first time that I was like, well, no, I could see why people in towns are like, no, nah, we should be fine. Just don't let new people in for a while or be. And then I'm like, oh, but then that's how you end up with all of white history. Mm -hmm. The the other thing I thought was weird was how much bits of this city will feel like a town or whatever. Like how how much how much various things would feel familiar, but also totally strange. Like the size of the yards was just mind boggling. Yeah, the yards in Great Falls are pretty big, aren't they? There's just more room. There are economic downturns, but they're typically not. They don't fall as far down as like big cities. I think. And because of that, there's less gains to be made on shoving a bunch of people in and then jacking up prices. I think you're good. I think you're going to see more of that happening in places like Missoula and Bozeman and probably Kalispell and like Whitefish and stuff. 
But like Great Falls hasn't really hit a gentrification point yet. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So that was Sunday night. And then Monday we decided like we went over to my parents' house after he had had like appointments. And then I think he took a nap because my dad uh, has cancer and stuff. And so then we were just going to go to some museums. Well, we go to Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center and it's closed. Closed. Uh, then we, uh, drive out to Fort Benton to go look at the, uh, trading post. Cause there, there was a big trading post there. That also, was also closed. Then my dad's like, oh, well, let's just, uh, drive through Highwood on the way back. And then there's a bar there that like has a food that my mom and dad like to go. That was closed. For sale. Even. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was for sale. And then we drove through, uh, Belt on the way back, which has a brewery that we've been going to for years called Harvest Moon Brewery. They have a beer called Pig's Ass Porter. Then they were closed too. So we were a total swing and a miss, but we got to drive through a really pretty part of yeah. the Great Falls, a greater Great Falls area it, I, in Fort I, Benton. I got to see a lot of cool stuff. We saw some deer or some antelope. But my favorite part was when we got home and your dad was like, oh, yeah, we've gone like 80 or 100 miles. And I was like, that was that was 80 or 100 miles. That was four no's in 80 or 100 miles. Like it was. Yeah, but it still was a nice drive. So it's pretty yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just, that's how big. And we didn't really leave the general Great Falls area was the impression I got. No, but we definitely did. We okay. drove, we drove like. Okay, okay. We drove about 40 miles to Benton City, I think. Okay, just your guys' your guys's comfort with that area was such that it was like it was really not that different than me going to Beaverton. No, was kind of Fort Benton. Was your dad's attitude was was like yeah, it's it's the further part of still roughly here, and like just the fact that it was like oh that's like forty miles away. So yeah, it's about forty minutes between Great Falls and Fort Benton. But I mean, with the town. with the level of inconvenience of if I had driven to Beaverton and back. But I think he was just happy to be hanging out yeah, and fair. doing fun stuff. Because like, my dad likes to drive around and look at stuff. My parents like, from a very young age, probably from the time I was born and before that, we would drive from Great Falls to uh, Yakima, the Yakima Valley in Washington, which is about like a nine-hour drive. Yeah, and you said you had family there, and I have family there. Yeah. So there's a good chance we might have like mutual cousins Oh, or my something. gosh, probably. My parents there's... like driving. My dad likes driving. He loved like the Montana scenery, so it wasn't a problem. I just, I just melded our, 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 our images together and came up with a very annoying, androgynous person. Oh, yeah. We like would... a person who has he, she, they pronouns. We'd be unbearable. But like refuses to let you get it right ever yeah like, like it was wrong this time it, it's still not right nope you missed it um and then the next day we ended up going to the lewis and clark interpretive center and then we went to giant springs afterwards which is a uh, freshwater spring that flows into the missouri and they bottle and there's also a fish hatchery there so we got to see those giant trout yeah it was really it was again really pretty yeah it's it's it it, it makes me long for the i, I would love this world where we had cities, right? And we weren't forced to live in them. And then we had towns. And we weren't forced to live in them either. And, like, we could commute between them without the restriction being, like... Money. Some, yeah, yeah. Like, like I was going to make a bit out of it. About it. Sorry. No, you're fine. Just I wish there was an imaginary barrier between me and doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like... I, I really do have this, there's an episode of Star Trek, I think I've mentioned it before, I think I mentioned it on that trip, where everyone loses their memory, and they try to reassign themselves according to, like, well, I like doing this, so I must be this, or I, I, I feel this way, so I must be this, 
And like, I imagine the world if we did that, if we just like shook up the planet for a minute, like, like snow, a snow globe, globe, and we all were just like, oh shit, I don't know where I belong. Like, I, that I would, would be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I might end up in Montana in well, a Well, I mean, like, I think we have kind of microcosm events like that whenever there's like a large natural disaster or like a conflict, things yeah. like that. So but I mean, those things be, do happen, but never on like a worldwide scale. But it would be nice to have a non-climactic or cataclysmic, non-cataclysmic. Yeah, non-cataclysmic reset. You're absolutely like, right. Like just, it would be funny if we just all woke up tomorrow and like, oh, what, what? Money? Why, why did we do money? Oh, yeah. We watched the best Bollywood movie. We did. That was... RRR. It was three hours long. And that sounds intimidating, but what you do is you watch it more than once, I think. Is, yeah. Is if the... you want... Yeah. And you it's... can put this on in the background and walk away and come back. And be like, dang. All right. Because that, that's also... Three hours is also like one good Sandman series, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's Sandman the series, I think. Yeah, give or take. So you, um, and the way it's broken down, you can totally watch like one section and be like, that's... All right, I'll come back to this. Yeah. yeah. No, it was fun. We watched that with my sister Gabby and her husband Doug and their beagles. It reminded me of... you. Had you seen... I don't remember if you'd said... Uh, have you seen Kung Fu Hustle? Yeah, I, I kept telling Gabby how good of an idea that was. That, and then we also played Lords at Waterdeep, yeah, a was... uh, board game based on Dungeons & Dragons. That was really fun. Unfortunately, I'm never going to be able to play again. Why? I won. Oh my gosh. The, 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 just, You're that's, ridiculous. that's why I don't ever play Monopoly or Risk. Is I think I won once. Yeah, I have a memory good. of winning once and being like, I'm out. I'm good. I'm finishing on top. Yeah, I only enjoy Monopoly if I'm winning. Or, I don't know. I don't... Here's the thing. I don't enjoy Monopoly when I'm winning because then I feel bad that other people are losing in a rigged game. Like, oh, I love watching... Corey, like, stepped in it so hard when we play Monopoly with our friends Scott and Lindsay. I was like, you're gonna get fucked because you were buying this property and you don't have enough money for it. And then, like, the next thing he ran... He, like, he landed on one of mine and I was like, and I want that property. Yeah. Um... But uh, that was fun. We went over to my brother Phil and Nancy's house for dinner. They have three cats, and they're building a giant catio. Uh, I will. I will correct you. They're building one cat. They only own one cat because the other two were assholes, and I never took pictures of them. Oh. So historically speaking, they only own one cat. Okay, they have three cats. They only have um, one cat historically speaking. Cats. But um, that was fun, and Phil also smokes hella weed, so he was just like. Clearing bowls. We were smoking a lot. It was pretty nice. Uh, so, yeah, this was the last day we were in my hometown. We were at my sister Joelle's house. Like, all of my siblings were there, with the exclusion of Gabby's husband. And my niece Danielle was there, too. And there was there was two th- there was two things that were funny before the thing that was really funny. The, the first thing that was funny was, for me at least, was I went onto the back patio to, because, because it was Montana and I didn't know what carrying weed across Idaho was like, I did get, I did spend my little bit of fundage on a dab pin, mm-hmm. right, on a cartridge. And I went on the back porch to smoke and your eldest sister, I guess, yes. came out and was like, it's okay, we know that you smoke, or something, something to the effect of, I give you permission to do the thing you're doing right now. And it was really every, like, I, like, I, it was very hard uh, to respond as respectfully as I think I did, surrounded by many people as I did, with the understanding that, like, I was going to do this whether you said it was okay or not. If, <laughs> if you said it was okay, it just meant you told a crippled guy to leave your house and circle the block weird. Like, that was what, that, yeah. that, that was, and then there was also this thing where she brought a friend 
and I didn't know that friend was her friend. She I thought, thought it, it. He thought it was her husband. Like I, so and her I, husband was there. And so, like, I became a little bit more confused when they started talking about him. So I was like, "Oh, I guess the ex-husband hangs around," is what I'm thinking. And so I've kind of, I'm trying to solve that mystery. And the other thing is, I'm not really interacting because it's a lot of. There was a lot of people, and it's a lot of people who are having conversations that they're comfortable having, and I don't want to get in the middle of a familiar mm-hmm. pattern. And there's a kid there, and my thing when there's a kid there is like. You're usually the most entertaining person. Oh no, here, she's a great kid. My niece Danielle is hilarious. And so I'd finally had enough kid time. I'd drawn Wonder Woman or whatever, and I sat down and I was kind of enjoying myself. And you and Corey, there was like an island kind of station in the kitchen that had a pillar on it, and Corey could see across the pillar to you. So you guys were talking across that way, and then you leaned in a little bit, and at the same time. Uh, your your just barely older sister Joelle rounded the corner, and Joelle has like I, I would say you have a skinnier profile, but you guys have roughly the same outline, and you have roughly like the same face construction. We look a lot alike, and so and we had the same length of brown hair, and was wear, were wearing black shirts. And so Corey, and looking at me and seeing me in the chair and going, "Well, this might mean Pat is uncomfortable." sees you disappear from the pillar and using very logical deductive reasoning reaches across and gently caresses your sister's arm to which her face does a variety of things at first it's like oh who's touching me and then it's like wait who's touching me and then it's like who's touching me and then Corey just becomes more and more mortified as he's like, this does not compute. You were Rochelle a second ago. I saw Rochelle. How I was talking to Rochelle, right? And then you kind of like ease back in from where you were. Like you hadn't even moved enough to just be anything but beside his frame of reference. And it was, I guess, uh, gets even more beautifully. Well, yeah, because then later on in the night as we're getting ready to leave, Gabby and Joelle are next to each other. And Gabby's like, yeah. And Corey thought Joelle was you. And then Joelle's like, yeah, and that's not okay. I bring it up to Corey and he's like, yeah, I am so sorry. Oh my God. I'm, I'm just so sorry. And I'm like, no, Corey, you have literally given me the best present I've ever been given. For context, our entire lives, Joelle has hated the fact that we look alike and does not want to be like me in any way, shape, or form. She will actively change clothes. She will glare at people who confuse her for me. So her entire life, she's not enjoyed this. So in that moment, Corey had proven that she still hates that and that it is still one of the only powers I have over her and our dynamic. And it's extra funny because you both dress kind of tomboyish. Like, yeah. Like, like that, I wouldn't say manly. I would definitely say distinctly tomboyish. And like, Oh, yeah. Joelle used to wear, like, basketball jerseys and basketball shorts to school. And, like, she had a bowl cut up until middle school. So, like, Joelle's been hella tomboy for a long time. So it was, it was, it was very beautiful to see. It was also, from my perspective, a, a wonderful, like, this is the sort of thing Friends writes about and then makes weird that's actually funny. It is funny when you see that in person. Go figure. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if I'd actually laugh if I saw that. And I thought I peeled off in laughter. I might, I might not have. I disassociated. I think. Yeah, because it was that great. It was that. It was but yeah, that. so that was our that was our send off um, to come back to Missoula, and then 
what did we do? We we had dinner with my friend Kira. Yes. Uh, I remember that place with the like rice bowls. And then uh, then we did the open mic that night. I didn't realize they had started it earlier, so we actually were a little bit late, but luckily we were both That's able right. to get up on. Another instance of that thing where I was like, oh, people intimidate me because like, I think we both made active decisions to be like, here's my dick. Like, like in a good way. Like, oh, yeah, like, no, we, we chose our, our good stuff, and we just went with it. Because the, the thing I'll, I'll get tired of at open mics, and the reason I don't go to as many as I go to is, is because I don't like the dude narrative of, I'm bad at sex, so what? Or women are just things for me to jizz into. And, like, a lot of my, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, uh, one of the main reasons I make cunnilingus jokes is I'm like, I don't think I've seen a lot of other dudes comment on cunnilingus so so it's it's to break a stereotype but it's also because a big stereotype in comedy is i'm bad at i'm bad at sex isn't that funny people should fuck me and so like, like no and so like i actively did some of my more like sex positive and like you can be good at sex too material you just have to want to try yeah and like it was very nice to see because there was like a clique of female uh women performers and like it was nice to see them enjoy a set because I'd been sitting right behind them and seen them not enjoy a lot of sets. Yeah. And well, so, and they're all, they were all comics. Okay. And I so think, that's right? A, it was that table right in yeah. the front. Yeah. Those, that was all comics. And so, like, like it's funny when it's like, well, I can, it might have been that they were just happy to see a new dick joke. Which yeah. Well, and I think they were happy to hear, because, like, we heard another guy who had a lot of jokes about stalking a woman. Yeah. Uh, and another one about how he's had more sex than he's talked to his mom or like whatever. Which is, which is, I mean, that can be a line, but not the way. No, because it was coupled with a lot of other stuff that was dismissive of women. Yeah. But it was like, we saw, in some ways it was a very typical union club open mic. In other ways it was not. Because the night that I started that, uh, the, the first night I did that open mic was October, no, November of 2013. There were only two other women. It was just me and Kima Waterfield and Becky Margolis. The night that we went and did it, there were like 10 women. And that was so exciting to me to see such a drastic change in the last nine years. I mean, it should be more drastic, let's be honest. But it was really nice to see that because that wasn't something I was prepared for. And it, to, to give context that, that I thought was interesting uh, was that like, there's not karaoke in any of these places. No, and, yeah. And either Missoula or Great Falls. I don't think Union Club has karaoke. Well, it was just weird to me that, like, it wasn't a thing that was, like, it's a special night in town as opposed to, like... Oh, not, yeah, yeah. And so, like... That it, is a thing that's just... I mean, there's a lot more open mic nights now, but that is the longest-running one. And when I started, it was the only mic happening. And it's so it's just interesting to me in that it, it brought a lot of first-timers. It also meant, like... There was a certain amount of audience there because, like, actually, I'd like to see people tell some jokes. And then a bunch of assholes in the back, like always. Yeah, but the fact that there was any of that was was pretty promising. Like, I'll see that when I go to Dirty Angel stuff. That's why I go to Dirty Angel stuff because, like, new newcomers will be like, oh, I can... Sweet. Like, thank you. Like, like, yeah, you can do a set without uh, having a bunch of people just flat out ignore you and be rude. Yeah. Like, uh, Courtney and Tyrone do a really good job of listening to the performers and like engaging with their material. Yeah, and and like that, I, I was seeing a lot more of that evidenced at. Yeah, John uh, sits right at the front yeah. and is there like the entire time. 
I, I think it's a thing that happens on a lot of mics in general, but I appreciated a number of people who were like, nope, that was all I needed to do. Oh, yeah, no. There were a lot of people like, and that's all I got. And it was like, they got a minute in. And I was like, thank you for realizing that's all you had and just leaving. That's fine. Because it's... it's you a, don't have to fill that time. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that ends up happening in, at least in Portland, uh, where because stage time is sort of at a at a precious commodity... There is an incentive to use as much of it as possible. But it's not as precious of a commodity. Yeah, though. which I thought that was what I thought was interesting was yeah. was it made me realize like oh no I really appreciated these people being more honest than the people it, it who have as to, much stage time as they'll ever need. Yeah, I, it just it was an interesting like I said it made like we said it made me miss aspects of comedy way more than it made me miss going to open mics mm -hmm. or or it mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. it I've said it before, in my mind, when I came into comedy, there was totally, like, a hierarchy and a, like, I will go to comedy, uh, open mics, and this will be auditions for shows, and then shows will be their own thing at X, Y, and Z, and to see that it's much more of a, like, well, do you want to hang out at a bar, and we'll become friends, and I guess we'll put on a show together, than, than the the system that I thought existed, it was nice to see at least, like, the framework in myth form working at least a little bit the way I pictured it working where it yeah. was like okay well, people are coming here because they want to do comedy or they'll hope like yeah yeah it was and I think that speaks to that especially at least in that room John has a more community centered perspective on running the show it's not about those other things he wants to have a space for people to practice their comedy and try it and we have a space for people to see that process and i think he's done a really good job of um fostering that it's interesting too because that bar looks so much different than when i i started doing stand-up because the, the yellowstone tv show gave a bunch of money to clean it up for a couple oh. shots in the show and stuff but the things that haven't changed is that the pool table's fucking annoying. So the, the show's usually always on a thirsty Thursday night, so that means all the college students are out just being drunk and messes. So it's like, you, that's a mic where you do have, like, there are people there to hear you, but you're going to have to contend with how loud the rest of the people are that aren't there to hear comedy. Which is which is just a thing. But it's, it's kind of a good yeah. thing, too, because it can help you develop the ability to project in spite of not being able to tell what if the crowd is having a good time, which is important in those those rooms. And it, it can it can also help you develop the thing that I have finally kind of gotten over the hump with of pretending to be enthusiastic for the millionth time because like Take that's that's yeah. That's why I always find like jokes about like, oh, I'll go into sex work funny. Uh, funny because it's like you can't fake good sex work. Like, like I've had friends who are dancers and it's like, no, you can't fake the girlfriend experience. Like you can't fake the things that they do. These are skill. In addition, like like there, I have a friend who's a dancer and I've seen her with her partner and I've seen her with her customer. And I've also seen her make the disconnect with him. I'm like, just like, I'm treating you like a customer. It's not where I'm going. It's just... So let's reset kind of thing. And like it, it, uh, in comedy, there's a similar skill base to be like, I always think of this Bill Hicks line where he's like, time to plaster on a fake smile and plow through this shit. Not not necessarily as big a fan of, fan of Hicks as I used to be, but like that don't, sentiment. Don't listen to, to Pat. He, whenever we're not recording, all he's talking about how is how unimpeachable Bill Hicks is as a comedian, a person, and a mentor. 
So we share anytime the same... he is trying to decry his blatant Bill Hicks support, just know it's a fucking lie. We do share the same birth date. Ew. Birthday, not date. Sorry. I'm so not, I'm what not... are you again? A Sagittarius. Oh my gosh, that's sagalistic. Yeah, but 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 I, I, that means I'm the reincarnation of Bill Hicks. That's why I've decided. I really wanted you to see the community I came from because, like, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's like so necessarily actually... better than other communities. But I was really glad that was where I started because I think it spoke a lot more to what I wanted out of comedy, which was just to make people laugh and have the opportunity to do that. I wasn't thinking, like, I want a special, a movie, a TV show, all this money. I I definitely felt much more of the, the an important process to being human is synthesizing experiences and not doing it the worst possible way. It, it reminded me of when I went to Memphis a few years back yeah. and I got a mic cop there uh, because Memphis is a little bit bigger of a city, but its focus is more on music. So but the it comedy scene is not as yeah. intense as it is out here. And 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 what that ends up doing is if you do want an intense comedy scene out there, then you go to fucking someplace where it is. Like you go to New York or Portland or L.A. or mm -hmm. Seattle or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Or you try to work the region as you can, whatever's inside of your, your skill base. But the most important, the more interesting thing is a little bit more so than Portland if you don't want to work on a 30-minute special for Comedy Central, then you can just work on your comedy, right? Like, you can work on whatever you do want to work on. Do you want to be a good host? Do you think you're a good fucking dirty diner 30 minutes at the end of a fucking, because this place has a stage kind of thing, Elk's Dinner, or are you, you know, gonzo, whatever. And you could see a lot more of that in Missoula, uh, than I see here in Portland. Yeah, there's like a very specific thing you need to be in Portland, and it does. And like, obviously, there's a lot more diversity of like who you are as a person in Portland, but I think there's a, maybe a little more diversity of opportunity in Missoula because like I, I, it's I, not a bit, it's not a, it's not a machine yet. It's an interesting thing where I like think talent definitely shines more, but it has less opportunities, which means it takes more. Which does negate people who don't, who aren't necessarily inherently. I think one of the things I, I, I find really disincentivizing about comedy is that if you are a person who is, you know, like, haha, if you're, if you're a, a type A personality, it kind of doesn't matter how funny you are because eventually you will find material. It will come to you in the form of writers. You will live enough of a life such that, like, your ability to just tell a story is engaging. If you're somebody who's a little more reserved, a little more introverted, that you're... Or struggles just with, with social interactions yeah. and doing a lot of the stuff required. Then then you kind of struggle at comedy more. And, like, I think there's people who hear that and are like, well, duh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And to me, it's like, well, is that necessarily what I want comedy to be? Why do you want comedy to be a thing that excludes people who are funny, but maybe not necessarily... A type like I think Portland as a destination ends up attracting, like you're saying, a certain type of person, and it creates false opportunities or a lot of stuff that's like, well, at least it's applied to my ten thousand hours. I don't, I don't well, think yeah, you're gonna I mean, put like, in your your time the same way in Missoula as you do here, but I do think you were correct that like once you're at a certain level, it's much easier to shine. 
I think a good way to a good way to correlate this might be the differences between the comedy competitions um, between Portland and Missoula. It is still a bringer show, not in the sense that they give you tickets, but it's like you're not going to see the money from what the show makes. Like John sees that money, the Roxy sees that money, the the people that he pays to like put it on. Yeah, they see that money. So like in that regard, is same. Is the fee nearly as much? No, I think it was like. When I was doing it, I think it was five bucks. Like, it was just, like, throwing a pool in there. Or, like, it, it was not a lot of yeah. money. And another thing about it is that there's three preliminary rounds and then a final round. It's not subjected to crowd vote. There's always judges. Oh. And so that means that it's not pushing people to make it a popularity contest. It's specifically based on the material you do and how well you do. I think that... And, like, so it makes me think that, like, in Portland... You see more of that bringer aspect. Yeah. And in Portland, because it's by a bar trying to pay for a lease in a building and just make profit for somebody in Philadelphia, because of that, it's much more focused on how much money can the bar make. And, like, yes, it is subjected to audience. Or we don't have judges at all, do we, at the Portland? For, I want to say... The semifinals and the finals, yes. Yeah, okay. But the preliminary and the quarter final rounds oh. that they've added in, those are the ones that are crowd vote. Okay, yeah, and that that definitely makes it complicated because, like the one the one time I got forward in the contest was simply because, like, I knew ten people who here's the other thing could all get the night off in a row. And this if is you why... work in the service industry and all y'all like work nights every week, yeah. people aren't going to be able to come to the show. And, and if you're new to town, if you have social uh, anxieties and phobias, you're going to have a hard time having the people to come to shows. Sorry, no, I'm, no, no. I'm no, going because I was thinking about the fact that like I do a pretty good job of bringing people to shows, but that's just because I have a lot of friends. But like, there are some comics. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, you're fucking unbearable to be around. No shit, you wouldn't be able to bring someone to this show. And like, I do think, hey, can this person bring an audience? Should be an important factor if you're doing a contest as a as a business for yeah. uh, for for booking reasons or whatever. And I also don't think that judges are inherently better. No, than I don't the... think it's better than crowd vote, but I also think crowd vote is very easily manipulated. Yeah, and so so it was kind of like how the best of in the Willamette Weekly is always not necessarily very reflective of what the community is. And, and yeah, so it was just interesting to see all that. I genuinely think a a synthesis should be again greater comedy solidarity and if nothing else like the the idea the the thought i keep having that comedy should be a more organized and formal thing because kind of bad shit thrives in the gray spaces was just kind of more solidified because it's like if you don't have a john or a charlie right if you go back 10 15 years john howard I'm just going to say their names again in yeah. case anyone's curious. Yeah. If you don't have folks like them who are motivated more, like they're motivated by profit, sure, but they're genuinely motivated by art too. Yeah. When you're motivated by those things kind of in equal measure, you're much more likely to make art more than you're likely to make a product to sell. Mm-hmm. And like at some point, I totally want to do an episode about the the kind of production model of comedy these days. And, and, like, the way it kind of interferes with my sacrosanct opinion of it. But, like, and jerking myself off motion there. It's disgusting. Yeah. 
that's what this whole podcast is. <laughs> but but I do, it did make me realize like, nah, it, this is the kind of environment where you can make this happen. And if you don't, then guess what happens? Somebody comes along, sees what John says, and it's like, well, I can use this to make myself several grand. This is now my job. Thank you people for paying me to be here. It seems as though John has his fingers in many pots. So clearly, he, so clearly he's not like, bilking anyone i don't know if that language is proper no Cle- no i think you're clearly right. like, he's not ripping anyone john's off. not a con man um he's a businessman but he's not a con man there's pluses and negatives to both comedy scenes obviously but i really wanted to i've always wanted to bring comedies from comedians from portland to missoula to see how it is different and to see that there are ways to have our community in a way that is beneficial to all yeah. of us and is less focused on the haves keeping from the have-nots. And the artificial scarcity issues, yes. definitely. Like. But yeah, so I mean, that was a fun mic. We went to a bar because that's usually where people go after the mic, but no one showed up until really late. But then we got to hang out with John and then Sugarbush, who was moving to Denver, uh, who I've known him since I started comedy, so that was kind of neat. Um, and then the next day, we kind of hung out during the day, yeah, you, went to my friend's bakery. Um, not to be confused with my father's place. No. And then we, what did we do after that? We napped because you had the show that night, I thought. Yeah. I think we just went straight home because I was going to, I was going to go see um, Beth and David's kiddos, but then we just ended up going home because I had to get ready to go get ready for the show that I was doing because I did the drag show. Um, which the drag show went really well too. It was fun to watch some of the performers. There was a drag goddess, so not a queen or a king, a goddess. Huh. And uh, they are in the. There's a program at the University of Montana called the Wilderness and Civilization Program. So like you're taking like two or three different courses involved with the class, and then you're also going on back chat backing trips almost every other weekend, like into different parts of Montana. And so the first song that they did a performance to was Hello Mada, Hello Fada, <laughs> Here I Am at Camp Granada. And it was really cute. And I chatted with them a little bit after the show. My favorite thing happened that night at the bar, though. I don't know if you guys were there yet. Oh. But um, they had potted plants hanging from the overhang uh, where people were smoking. And some, like, six-foot-one guy hit his head on it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, this is too funny. So I got that guy's attention. I was like, hey, hey, check this out. And I just walked under the planter and just stood there. And I was like, eh? And he's like, yeah, well, I'm six foot one. That's pretty cool. And I was like, oh, I know. But, like, I can fit in airplane seats. And then I was like, and you know what else? When I'm in a car, legroom is never an issue. And it was just so funny. And after that, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm drunk. I didn't mean to be rude. Thanks for being a good sport. But it was just the most beautiful moment. And that's why I don't drink and the a best lot. part, uh, I was going to say, the best part was Rochelle wasn't even drunk. No, I was a little drunk. I got, you saw me drunk more in Montana than I think you've seen me. Probably, yeah. But I also, it was, <laughs> I kept being blown away by how pretty everybody was, drag, pre-drag. But, and then that next uh, morning, we drove back to Portland. And I drove most of the way. Corey, well, I got, I think I drove about three or four hours and then Corey took the rest over. You didn't have to drive at all. I didn't want you to drive. I wanted you to just take it easy. No, that's fine. Technically, I didn't have a license. And so. I get, I get super car sick, so I had to drive. Um, another really great point of the trip is we're about two thirds of the way to my cousin's house the first night. And I realized that I did not leave a house key for the people who are pet sitting. 
Well, then Corey, like, I'm freaking out. So Pat's like, okay, you should pull over so we can deal with this. And Corey started to freak out, too. So he asks to hit Pat the dad pen. Well, he hits it so hard that it makes him cough so hard that he had to get out of the car and just, like, heave out everything in his stomach. Like, I think he probably, some of his intestine probably came out. It, it was great because we were, like, parked around a bunch of semis. Yeah, so there's probably some semis, like, what the fuck happened to them? Yeah, my my uh, my aunt drove those, and so I was just picturing, like, semi-truck drivers are usually people like my aunt, where they're, like, fairly conservative, but they're just working a ton, so they've just pulled over to sleep. Or it's, like, pulled over to do drugs, or pulled over for prostitution. And so it's like, you're interrupting one of man's three most sacred activities, <laughs> right? <laughs> with just with just a trio of stoners. I get out and giggle, because I'm me. Because like I was, I thought I was going to be able to pee, and then I was like, nope, not going to be able to pee here. It smells too much like pee, and Corey's puke. And then Corey's also, like, pacing and puking, and because of that, I'm giggling, and Michelle's freaking out, like, fuck, fuck, fuck! And I was just, like, oh my God, picturing, so picturing the trucker trying to get a yank, and we just pull up beside was- him, like, just, just ruining <laughs> it. These are my three hours. It was, it was a good trip. Speaking of things that could be interpreted multiple ways and long trips... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, let's... I figured we'd do two episodes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, was there any other... Oh, 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 no, that was going to be my teaser for the next episode. Yeah, but I mean, was was, there anything else you wanted to touch on about our trip to Montana? Probably I might turn it into a bit. My favorite thing was that I spent the entire time falling in love. There's a lot of pretty people all over the world. Yeah, he was on all the dating apps that he has not been banned from. I got banned either for a haiku and or trolling Blue Lives Matters. The point is I, I matched with two people while I was there both of whom matched with me just to make fun of me for wearing a mask. So, like, that was yeah, also... that was so funny to me. Like, the first time it happened, I was like, that's funny, I'm not going to bother telling you, Rochelle. Then it happened a second time, and I was like, I can't play with dating apps anymore here. I just yeah. can't. And then, and nevertheless, yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was my only of-note experience, was just two people being like, yeah, I'm going to take... Because, like, here's the other thing. If you don't, if you don't use dating apps, congratulations... But, I'm so happy for you. But you can, <laughs> part of the way they work is you you say, I like this person, and you connect with their profile, you swipe it, or you initiate a conversation or whatever, right? Or you, you say X, you say no. And the reason that's important is because you have only a certain number of free matches. So, so, so you only have a certain number before it's like, well, you've, you've run out of the trial that's version. Wild! And that means that potentially two people were like, look, I have maybe 10 matches to make today, I need to use one of them. To, to make fun of this person for wearing a mask. And just as a person who's supposed to love comedy, I will say I appreciate the commitment to something like a bit. To be fair, though, I don't think you realize how stale the dating pool is in my Oh, uh, yeah, that does make Especially sense. Especially Great Balls. That does make sense. That does. Like, when I was on dating apps in Montana, it was it was. Like, people complain about the lack of diversity doing online dating in Portland. It is so much worse, especially in a town like Missoula. It's like, if it, it, like, because people are like, if you don't like hiking, it's like, if you don't like backpacking, you uh, can't find a date in fucking Missoula. 
if you don't rock climb, you can't find a date in Missoula. Yeah, and, and we're there for a week. So it's not like I was going to really find a date. It was just more of a, like, it would be, it would, it would have been really cool to be like, well, Rochelle, I have to go leave. I have eating plans. And then she would have been like, oh, you're going to go have dinner. And I would have said, no, no, remember we just ate? And then, and then, ah, uh, uh, I'm rolling my eyes to infinity. Mother figures in my life listen to this show regularly. <laughs> That's how I feel about what you just said. So, I mean, it was a fun trip. I was glad that Pat got to come with us. Corey and I both agreed you're a great travel buddy. And I hope that we weren't too difficult to deal with either. No, uh, we've, we've all had just the right amount of trauma to make us pretty hospitable to other people and pretty forgiving when other people are inhospitable for a minute. Yeah. We did eat Lunchables and you got those awful tasting crackers or at least awful smelling crackers. Yeah, no, they weren't great tasting either. They just seemed enticing. Did you want to give any feedback on how the trip went? Wait, here, plug in your No, it'd be, No, it's even funnier if he just does nothing verbally. Like if no, it's plug just... it with the mic. The mic's right there. It's got to plug it in and I'll turn it on. I think it'll be on once we do it. If we ever live together, we need to learn to communicate like this. Okay. Yeah. How was the trip? That's even better. No! We had to say <laughs> stuff! It was a pretty good time overall, I would say. Yeah. The drives were long, but the view was nice. So it kind of balanced itself out. Didn't run into too much trouble getting there or on the way back. No speeding tickets this time. Yeah, how much was that speeding ticket? It was actually, you know, it wasn't so bad. But I feel like it was because I was a first-time offender in the state. So they wanted to take it easy on me and not ruin my experience. I've gotten I've gotten a speeding ticket in every state of the West Coast. I've never owned a car. Oh, my God. I... That, feels like, that feels like cheating at, at getting in trouble somehow. <laughs> I know. I forgot to point out that we saw a bunch of loose sheep outside of Lincoln, almost on the inter- on the inter- the highway. Yeah. Oh yeah. Somebody and then totally we saw lost those sheep. two loose chickens too. Well, and it was it was a situation where there was definitely a lot of fence, and then at some point the fence wasn't, and the sheep had found that. And they're like, "Whoa!" Because there was a dude on a horse behind all of them. Who looked very dissatisfied with the situation. Well, more more dissatisfied with the situation. And, like, I got to imagine most of the time that road's pretty dead. It's become a thing where it's like, well, yeah, I guess. Why did the sheep cross the road? Because there's a dude with a horse and two dogs chasing them that way, trying to get them from one place to another. I I just like to picture that there was no traffic until we got there. Because there was a reasonable amount of traffic at that exact point. We were the traffic. I don't think it was a game day weekend. Oh, okay, if okay. it was a game day weekend, it would have been a lot busier. Okay. Um, uh, I, I I did say at one point that the sky, looking across just the very vast flat plains of Montana in the area that we were at, the sky looked like the wall from Toy Story. But if like it wasn't desert, if it was just like plains. Like before it shifts out of Andy's imagination. Well, just, yeah, just blue sky with clouds dotting, like polka dotting really into like forever. Really, fluffy and lumpy. W- w- I, I can't remember if it's like a, I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody made the interesting point of like freeways and highways are a really good way to be like, we own this land without owning this land. And like just the weird nature of the, of the fact that we're like, I was probably definitely too high a couple of points, but I was just struck at the fact that like, we're stuck at only this line of travel in this place. Not because, like, 
it's just more work to go that way. But specifically because like this is where we put the road because we own the land because these are our boundaries. And it's I, just... I love I love that that is a concept that exists so far back, but also exists in situations like city infrastructure, like what they did in New York with building highways and freeways all over the place and being like, I know you live here and we may not be able to take the land that you're living on or we might not be able to buy the building that you're on, but we're going to put a freeway right the fuck next door. Oh, yeah. So... You may own this space, but we own 24-7 the noise outside your apartment. All right. Uh, thank you for your feedback. It was much appreciated. I hope you feel better. <laughs> go, go back to your sick cave. Have fun editing that sound. No, I have to pee. stop it. Right, go that's, pee. That's the end of this. I have to pee. Okay, Corey, go back to your room so you don't kill Pat. You're going to kill me, Corey. It's... Thank you for listening to part one of, I don't know, two, maybe three. We'll see how the editing goes. I, I edited this part so that all the all the trip stuff was in one part, uh, and then I ed- I'm, I'm hoping to edit all the Lewis and Clark stuff into another part. I hope you enjoy. Uh, this is time-consuming labor, and I want to once again thank the patrons, all of you. You make the show possible in, in a very real way. I would make the show if there was no patrons. It would just take a lot longer and be more spastic, but the more people that make it possible, the the easier it is. When I don't have to stress about bills, it becomes easier to focus on editing and research. So, once again, thank you to the patrons. If you're not a patron, hey, thank you for listening. That is That is amazing of you. If you get a chance and you're on social media, look for Recyclables Podcast. Right now we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, and we are on Twitter. Uh, and check us check us out for part part two with about Lewis and Clark. And of course, we're us, so we're gonna it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. I'll see you next time. It's definitely, <coughs> oh my God, your dab smoke is making me cough now. <laughs> but, um... Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.